You are listening to Life and Leadership, a podcast designed to connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow. And now your host, Daniel Kitchell. Welcome everyone to Life and Leadership. This is Pastor Daniel. I want to thank you so much for being with me today, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. I want to thank all the listeners out there today from my heart to your heart. You have been a gigantic part of getting this show off the ground. Your love and support and encouragement, it does mean the world to me. So thank you. And as we know, this show is located wherever you want to listen to your music, your books, or your podcast. We're on Amazon. We're on Google. We're on Spotify. And last month, 67% of our listeners came from Apple. And so for all of our Apple users out there, thank you for being a part of this show. It truly does mean the world. And the easiest place to go is danielkitchell.com. On that website, the show is right there for you every episode, along with show notes, links to articles, and even a transcript of the conversations I've had with people. Before we get to our interview today, I have a question for you. Is there anything from your past that you are holding on to that is holding you back? Let that question rest with you for just a moment and really think about it. Is there anything from your past that you're holding on to that is holding you back? The heart of my question today is pretty simple. It's time to forgive yourself of things that you've done in the past, mistakes you've made, failures, people you've hurt. Today is the day that God wants you to know that you can be free from that. And so when I ask that question and something immediately pops to your mind, my dream and my hope and my desire for you and my prayer is that you would be able to let go of that today, that you would stop beating yourself up. You would stop loathing things that you did five, six, 10, 12 years ago and be present in the moment and walk into the future because God has forgiven you and he wants you to forgive yourself. God's character does not allow us or want us to beat ourselves up over things that we did years and years and years ago. He wants us to be free. He wants us to know how much he loves us. So today, what do you need to let go of that you're holding on to and it's holding you back? In light of that question today, I have Heather Bowen joining me on the show. Heather is a longtime friend of mine. She is an elementary school teacher. She's an LPCC. She's also an incredible wife, a mother, a grandmother, a daughter, a sister. She's just an incredible human being. And everybody that knows Heather just loves her. And when I started this show back in October, she was on my list to have on here because I know her story. And I know what God has brought her from, and she's not afraid to tell it. And the reason there's no fear in Heather sharing her story with all of us today is because she's been delivered from it. She lived to tell about it. And because of that, she's incredibly passionate about helping others to find forgiveness, to find hope, to let go of the past, and to walk into the future that God has for them. Here is my interview with Heather Bowen. Heather, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Hi, it's good to be here. Oh, awesome. Well, I'm so thankful. I 
when I started this podcast back in October, I had a short list of people that I wanted to have on the show. And I never would have told you this because I want to scare you off. But <laughs> you were on my short list to be on because some of the advice I, I got as I got prepared for um, building this show and all of that was that they said to, you know, interview people, you know, that -hmm. have compelling stories. And, and whenever I heard you share your story just uh, a few days ago at church, it just kindled that in my heart again, that I need to have you on because I know you have so much to offer Mm -hmm. and I just can't, yeah, you're welcome. And it's just an honor to have you here. And I just cannot wait for you to, to pour into people because your story is one that the world needs to hear. And not many people know Heather Bowen. You're not famous <laughs> like me. I'm not famous either. Yeah, right? definitely <laughs> <Okay>. not famous. <laughs> but I will say that people need to know you and they need to know your story. And that's why I wanted to have you on. And so uh, I'm just going to go ahead and take us to, to me, one of the, you know, the parts of your story that just kind of started it all um, as I recently heard it. And it was January 11th, nineteen. Mm-hmm. 19- 96. 96. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so why don't you take the listeners to that date? Okay. What was going on in your life? And that's where we'll begin. Yeah. Um, I was 22, almost 23 years old. I had a three and a half year old son um, that I was raising on my own. Um, I was in a very unstable relationship and I was addicted to methamphetamines mm-hmm. and I was pregnant. And I knew that being pregnant again uh, was not what I had hoped for. It was not what my family would have hoped for. It's not what I wanted to have to tell the people that I loved. And I made a choice. Mm. I made a choice to walk into Planned Parenthood in Phoenix, Arizona, and in the life of my baby. Um, And... From that very moment, from that very moment, I knew that I regretted that decision. Yeah. It was uh, something that in the moment I was scared. I was highly addicted. I was lonely. I was fearful. And all of those things drove a decision that I would live with for the rest of my life. Right. I would live with it forever. During that time, I didn't feel like I had people that I could call on. Mm. Now, in retrospect, I could have called on my mom. I could have called on my sister. But in that moment, when a a woman is in a place where they're facing a pregnancy, as I was, you don't think about that. You're more focused on the shame and the hurt that you know it's going to cause. So when you made that decision to end your pregnancy... You already had a child. Mm -hmm. So what was different for you in that regard? I know that's a hard question, but. It is a hard question. So my son, Chad, was three and a half at the time. Right. And it had just been he and I. um, I had never married his father. And his father was not involved. Um, And so I was always having to work and to provide and to be there for this child. And I. I did it. I felt like I had been doing okay. I mean, looking back now, I don't think that it was really all okay. But I looked at him and I looked at the life that I was providing and it just wasn't much. So when I looked looked at him and looked at, okay, the first time I got pregnant, I chose life. 
Mm. And as I'm so thankful that I chose life and I love my son so much. But in that moment, I realized I'm not giving him much of a life. Mm. As a single mom, as someone who is waiting tables and collecting food stamps and, um, you know, having to take public transportation everywhere and trying to just make do, I was not giving him the life that I felt he deserved. Yeah. And so that was another deciding factor. Do I bring another child in and it's just going to be that much harder Yeah. and it's going to be that much more of a strain on not only me, but on him. Yeah. And so it did, it did affect the decision that I was making because I just could not fathom that I was going to have to raise two children. Mm. And it was just so overwhelming and so scary that I just, I couldn't even imagine it. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about that moment for you and it it sounds to me like you were going to, you thought you could just do this and it would be over with Mm -hmm. and you wouldn't think about it again, but the exact opposite happened for you. The exact opposite. I I felt like it was a quick fix. Mm. You know, you go, you do it, you leave and you don't ever have to think about it again. Yeah. But instead the, the moment that it was over, it was really, really scary. The whole process Um, you're very much alone, even though the baby's father was with me there, uh, he had to stay in the waiting room. And then as we left, I, we had a three hour drive back because we lived in Lake Havasu city. And so I got in the back seat and I laid down and I remember thinking, Oh God, what did I just do? Hmm. Because immediately I felt like something was missing. Something terrible had happened. And as we drove home, I remember crying and um, being in pain, uh, not just a physical pain, because there wasn't a whole lot of physical pain, but it was just this emotional emptiness, this emotional pain of my baby's gone. Mm. And that was my baby. You know, I'd been trying to convince myself that that's not what it was, that it's, you know, just a fetus or just cells or whatever, um, just a blob. And in the moment you, I knew that I had done something terrible. And so we drove back home. He dropped me off. Um, I was laying in bed. Chad was asleep. We'd picked Chad up from the babysitter. Chad's my son. Yeah. Um, And he was sleeping in the next room. I remember waking up and just, I just needed the pain to stop. Mm. And I reached to the bedside table and I took, I mean, it was Excedrin PM, but I took the whole bottle. Because not that I wanted to end my life, I just needed the pain to go away. And it just really wasn't a physical pain. It was a pain inside of me Mm -hmm. um, that I just can't even put into words what that pain felt like. But it was like an emptiness, a loneliness, an ache of pain. And I took that bottle of Excedrin PM and praise the Lord that he was with me because Mm. I vomited almost immediately. And I'm so glad that I did because I don't know that that can kill you, but. Oh, I'm sure it could. You know, is that fair to my three and a half year old to wake up and find his mom? You know, that's not okay. And so I do believe God was with me in that moment. But then I just went, I mean, I went deep. I spiraled um, further into addiction. I went, I was out of control. I was really out of control because I was constantly trying to 
not feel that inner pain, that pain that was just inside of me. I just didn't want to feel that. I was trying to put on a happy face. I was trying to just go to work and do what I was supposed to do and be a mom, but I had to have something. And so that's when my addiction just kind of spiraled even further. Wow. So when you went to Planned Parenthood, Mm -hmm. what was that like, that experience? I mean, when you're there in in the room and how, Mm -hmm. what are are the things they say to you in that moment? And so they have to very um, blatantly ask you, is this what you want to do? Right. But if you, and they're, from what I understand, they're supposed to, if you have any waiver, then they're supposed to like help you to understand that there's other options. I did not feel that. I felt that they were very much pro, let's get this done. Mm. Let's get this done. They kept telling me how I was making the right choice. Um, they have to do an ultrasound first. And the the screen of the ultrasound is turned away from you. Not only turned away from you, but a curtain, like the hospital curtain, is pulled so that you can't see the screen at all. Right. And so, um, and then they take you from there to another room. Um I won't be too graphic, but it's just, no, you know, you hear sounds of things happening and I was awake for the whole thing. I know some girls are not uh, there. That's just, they gave me some medicine to relax me, but I was not asleep. And then it's basically, you stay in a recovery room for about 45 minutes and then you grab your things and you leave. Mm. And so it's very much like a sterile doctor's appointment, right? It's like you're going in there, you're having a test done or you're having a procedure done, you know, like you're going to get your tonsils out or something. And then you turn around and you leave. Um, and it's just very cold. I remember, um, I can remember the room. I remember just very much a, a clinic type setting. There's lots of people in the waiting room. Um, occasionally you would hear someone cry or someone scream. Uh, and I think that those were probably girls that were also realizing, oh gosh, what did I just do? And I know that there has been girls that walk in and walk out and say that they've never thought about it again. I don't see that. I don't see how that can happen. Um, and I think that when that does happen, I think that it's something that's being buried and pushed and that you're just trying to not think about it, right. you know, cause that's what you do. You try to just make it go away, mm. make it go away. So all of this pain and trauma that went along with this, it, it hung around with you for how many mm-hmm. years would you say that this was just something you carried around? Oh gosh. I mean, this is 1996. That was in 96. And I think that I did not. Um, get healing until 2014, 2014, I think it was. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I carried it with me. I carried it through. I got, I had sober periods Yeah. when I met Brandon, my husband. Um, I told him about it like right away. Like it was just something that, oh, if you're going to love me, you got to know that I'm this terrible, horrible it's like person. One of your dark, dark secrets you yes, got to get out. Yes. Yeah. So it's like one of the first things you tell some, somebody that you think you're going to have a relationship mm-hmm. with, right? Because you want them to know that you have this dark, evil side. And so I remember telling him, um, we actually had been together for a, a while and we conceived a baby. Yeah. We conceived a baby. And I, at eight weeks, which is what the gestation I was when I aborted, 
I miscarried. I automatically thought that that was my punishment, that that was the Lord saying, you deserve this. And so I just accepted it. I was, I knew at that moment that I had two babies' lives on me, that it was my fault. It was my fault that this, that I had miscarried. And then I had, I went and I tried to explain it to Brandon. I remember thinking, I'm sorry that your baby died. It's my fault. Mm. It's my fault. And so, um, thankfully, not long after that, we conceived again and then we had Ian. But I still always thought that that miscarriage was because Mm. of what I had done. It was like a a punishment for you. Right. You didn't deserve this because of your prior decision. Right. You processed. Yes. Like that God was telling me, this is what you deserve. This is, you know, you, it's kind of like when, you know, kids are little and they do something bad. And so then you take something away, Mm. you know, oh, you were naughty. You're not going to get to watch TV. Oh, you killed this baby. So you can't have this one. And that's kind of how my, my thought process was. And after that miscarriage, I, I had started using again and kind of spiraled for a bit before then I got clean before I had Ian. Yeah. But then even after Ian was born, I realized, I don't know, like every time I would be pregnant or when Ian was born, it was just brought it all back. You know, it brings it back. And so Ian wasn't, but maybe a month old before I had started using again, Mm. because I just, every time I would look at his face, I was missing these other babies, these other babies that I longed for Mm. and that I was sad for and that I just did, that I thought were just gone. And it wasn't until much later that I realized they're not just gone. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll get to like how you've dealt with that. And um, I want to stay right here in this moment for just with you and talk about, you know, your sobriety part mm-hmm. of the story, you know, you, it sounds like you, you know, had moments of, you know, being clean and yeah. sober and then you would just fall right back into it. Right. And what finally got you to the place where you could walk away from substance abuse? What did that look like? So Brandon and I had been married about a year. Right. And, um, I realized that as long as we stayed in Lake Havasu, as long as we stayed there, that I was going to keep going back. And in that first year of marriage, we split up at one point. Um, I had made some terrible decisions once again, and we split up. And he took me back, thankfully. Yeah. And I realized, I told him, I said, look, I said, I can't get clean in Lake Havasu. I just can't. Mm. I have too many demons here. I have too many people that I know, too much, um, too much history. Yeah. And I just can't do it. I said, can we go? And he said, yes. And so we literally packed everything that we owned, everything. And we were going to move to Texas. My mom was there with her sister. And that was the plan. We were going to go there and we were going to get a house with my mom. Mm. And we were going to start over. Well, my sister had already moved to Norman and she was up here with my nieces and we thought, oh, before we get settled, let's go see her. And I fell in love with Norman. Mm. 
And there was just something peaceful here. There was something bigger than me. And I remember that Brandon and I, there was a, a park right next to my sister's house. And we went for a walk. And I said, I know I've asked a lot. I want us to live here. Mm. Can we live here? And he was like, oh, my gosh, all of our stuff's in Texas. And what are you doing, lady? You know, he Make your just, mind up. I know. And I told him, I said, I don't know what it is. I just know that there's something for us here. Yeah. And um, and he said, okay. He said, okay. Mm. And we've been here ever since. And since then, I will say, in the first maybe six months to a year that I was here, I did have drugs sent to me in the mail. Wow. Because I just could not figure it out. Could not figure it out. And once I finally stopped and said, please, you know, no more, I had to, you know, tell my husband, this is what I did. It's come in the mail. That way he knew. And so then I would be scared he would check. And so then I didn't do it anymore. And I finally got to a point where I was like, okay, enough's enough. And now that's 19 years ago was the last time that I used, I think, 19 years ago. So you just stopped. I just stopped. No, no narcotics anonymous, (laughs) nothing. Just stopped. Just me and Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. I just, that was it. Yeah. Nothing wrong with treatment. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I've had many family members that have, you know, gotten clean and sober through treatment, but some people it's just, it's a, it's a mindset. It's a. Yeah. And um, there are a lot of people that can't just stop and they do need to go get help. And there are probably things that I still have, you know, that maybe I should have gotten some kind of um, mental health help. Sure. Um, But thankfully that I've just had Jesus. And for me, that's just, I've been able to trust him. I've been able to trust him. Wow. So this road to healing from your uh, abortion, it's, um, it's taken you to some really great places in your life where you're Mm -hmm. trying to help other people and help other women and to make decisions for life. And God confronted you with this, not just in you being forgiven from it, but also for you to do something with your forgiveness. Yeah. And I know that story Mm -hmm. and I know where that kind of began for you, but when did you come to that place where God just said, I, I've forgiven you of this choice that you made. And yeah. wh- when did that happen and where did that happen? Oh, it took a long time. Yeah, You know, I came to, when we got to Oklahoma, we started going to church regularly. Yeah. I had never done that my entire life. Um, I was brought up to know Jesus and the Jesus's birth and his death and his resurrection. I knew that. I knew big stories like Noah. I knew that. But I didn't know a lot of the Bible and I was not raised in church. I did do some of the church vans and I did have a lady that lived in our trailer park in high school that would take me to church, Miss Gert. I've been there before. I had the church van pick me up when I was your age. I promise. Yeah. I mean, it was good. It was good. So I had a little bit. Yeah. But I didn't really know Jesus and have a personal relationship with Jesus um, until Brandon. Mm. So. Brandon was very much um, raised in church and that was a big part of who he was. And I loved Jesus. Like, don't get me wrong. I knew that I I loved Jesus and Jesus was with me on some dark, dark nights. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But when we got to Oklahoma, one of Brandon's things was we're going to church. We're going to go to church. And so we um, had one church that we really loved and then it kind of fell apart. And every time I would pray, I would say, Jesus, forgive me. Mm. Every single time. That's and it how was I would start. You said that it meant you were saying, forgive me for of my that abortion. Sin, mm-hmm. that particular and so thing. I asked every time I prayed, every time. And so every time we would pray in the church, I would always be this blubbering mess because I kept asking, but I wasn't accepting. Mm. And then I came to the cross church <laughs> and um, I don't remember your exact words in a sermon, yeah. but I do remember you saying to listen and to obey and to hear what God has to say. And I knew that God was telling me, you've got to do something. You've got to do something. So I just very haphazardly um, found a place called Hope Pregnancy Center. And I thought that I could go volunteer. I thought that that could be my my redemption. Your atonement. Yeah, Yeah. my atonement. Um, I thought that that would work. And so when I went, thankfully, there's something there that you fill out and it asks you if if you're post-abortive. And I actually was honest and I was never honest about that. Yeah. I never was. But I was like, all right, God, you've brought me here. Mm. And in that, when they called, they said, look, we need to do, um, if you're post-abortive, well, first she had me come in and talk to her, but, and then she was so sweet, Carrie White. And she said, if you're post-abortive, we have this great Bible study. You know, she tried (laughs) to keep it really light. And I was like, oh yeah, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. And sure enough, the time of it was exactly at the one little bit of time that I could do it. Of course. (laughs) Because that's what God wanted. Absolutely. And we did this Bible study called Forgiven and Set Free. And it was hard. It was hard. Mm. It was hours of homework every week. And then you would meet once a week to kind of talk about all of the homework. And the homework would be reading all of this different scripture. Mm. And then relating it to your experience. So you would read scripture, but then you would also bring up names and places and smells and sounds and all of these things where I would literally be on the floor crying because I'm having to remember, having to remember all of these things that just I had tried so, so hard to push down in a way. Right. And Brandon, I remember him walking in and saying, what are they doing to you? Stop just don't go, stop going. And I, I just somehow God, even though it was hard and even though it was painful, God also helped me to know that it was important. And then it was something I had to do to find it, to find my forgiveness. And I remember reading different stories and the thing that I feel like finally was like in that moment of studying, it was talking about, it wanted to know about my childhood. And I was talking about different things. And then it said, um, talked about how your parents, and for me, it had to be my mom. I didn't have a relationship with my dad at that time. And said, you know, if you do something wrong, your mom forgives you. And then you yourself, if you're a parent and you know, like, there is nothing that my children could do that I couldn't find forgiveness for them. Mm. You know, doesn't mean I'm not mad, 
doesn't mean that I'm not disappointed. Right. Doesn't mean that I want those things to happen. And that doesn't mean God wanted me to have an abortion. Doesn't mean he's not sad that I had an abortion or angry, but it means that I'm his daughter mm-hmm. and I for, and he forgives me just like I would forgive my children. And that something about that message was just like a light bulb. Mm. Like, oh my gosh, I'm his daughter. He created me and I am his daughter. And parents love their children and parents forgive their children. And when I heard it that way, and when I, you know, my mom, she would forgive me of anything, (laughs) anything. Yeah. And I would forgive my children of anything. And when when they put it into that context, it was so much easier for me to understand mm. exactly what that meant. So in this Bible study, I learned about the character of God, like how he's kind and loving, but he also gets angry and he also gets sad. Mm. And he but it's okay because he also can find joy and he can bring you through things. And I learned this about this God, the person like that. He is a being that has emotions and feelings. And like, that was amazing to me. I don't feel like anyone had ever explained God to me in that way. I also learned that there's a difference between punishment and discipline and that, God's not going to punish me and that my miscarriage did not come from God, that he wasn't punishing me because he's not going to punish me. Punishment is harsh. Yeah. Discipline is training. Discipline is, comes from love. And while God will discipline me, he's never going to punish me. So this Bible study taught me all of this and taught me about how God knows he knew before I had my abortion that I was going to have my abortion. He loved me anyway. He allowed me all of these other blessings, even though he knows I was going to be a mess up. He knows that I was going to be addicted and that I was going to have an abortion. He knows all of that. And he still loved me. Mm. And he still gave me the blessing of my living children. He still gave me the blessing of a loving husband. Um, He still allowed me to do all of these things that I've done in my life because he loves me. Yeah. And so I was able to see all of that and I was able to understand that God is so much bigger and so much stronger than my decisions. Oh, that's so good. And so yeah. So, so I good. I went through the study and I learned that my babies are in heaven mm. and that they're they're there, they're waiting for me. I used to have dreams a lot about the baby that I aborted. Um, and I've always saw that baby as a girl. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's because I only have living boys <laughs> that I've just always thought of yeah. those babies as girls. And so they allow you to name your babies. Mm. And that, I mean, that just brings so much power to the fact that this was a baby. You're allowed to mourn the loss of that baby. Mm. You're allowed to be sad about the loss of that baby. Even though I chose that, that doesn't negate the fact that I, I mourn her. I mourn her and that God is taking care of her until I get there. That Bible study to me was the most intense, but the most special thing I've ever been through in my life. Mm -hmm. 
And it was solely for me discovering how much God loves me. What was her name? Oh, Madeline Leanne. And then my miscarried baby is Hannah Kathleen. All right. Madeline Leanne. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And so, yeah. So I do, I have candles at the house that have their little name cards from Hope. And um, mm-hmm. and so I think of them and I know I'll see them someday. And I know that they are with the Lord right now. And I can rejoice in the fact that they're there. Yeah. And then never have to live with the evils of the world. Yeah. Well, I am... I'm intrigued about the topic of punishment and Mm -hmm. discipline. Mm -hmm. I I think that's huge. I I think as I've lived a lot of my life as a believer in Christ since I was 11, not maybe truly understanding that, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking that God is mad at me. He's, you know, up in heaven with the Louisville slugger waiting to take me out. You know, I mean, I have those thoughts in my head, but what I had to surrender to is that, Jesus, Jesus took the punishment. Yes. He, he's the one that took the punishment on the cross for me. Mm -hmm. Does God like to discipline Daniel? Of course he does a lot. And, but it's love that he does that. Discipline comes from love. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, and I just, I just think that's a big point for our listeners that we don't look at God in the sense of, he's just waiting for you to screw up. Right. You know, like somehow you do something that's surprising to him or, or whatever. And so I want to, if you want to speak to that anymore, that what you learned through that, because those, that separation is big Mm -hmm. and we have to know the difference. Well, and for so long, I had thought that my miscarriage was my punishment. Mm. And in that Bible study, when they talked about the difference between punishment and discipline, and they talked about how punishment is what um, a very authoritarian parent might do. You know, you're, going to lose this. It doesn't matter what you say. doesn't matter what you do. Um, you've been wrong, 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 wrong. And discipline is more like, listen, you ran into the street. Let me show you why that's bad. Yeah. Let me show you what's wrong with that. Let me show you where you can play. Right. And instead of just screaming at me for running into the street, show, discipline is showing me that there's this area over here where you can play. And this is where you need to be. And now you're going to have to come sit over here for a minute and then you can come play, but you can't go in the street. And it's just that loving guidance of um, being a parent and that loving, um, that lovingness of being a father and not a harshness of being someone who just wants to catch you doing something bad and then beat you over the head with it. (laughs) Right. When I found out that God didn't punish me. That was huge. Mm. When I finally, I did a little bit of research and everything and realized miscarriages happen. They happen. They do. And it's not just, it's not because of something, you know, sometimes it's just your body wasn't ready or whatever. There's a plethora of things that can happen that cause a miscarriage. Now, was it coincidental that they were both at eight weeks or is that just something that the enemy stuck in my head and said, look, yeah. Ooh, eight weeks, eight weeks. Um, I, I believe that I believe that it was from the enemy that I focused on that for so long. Um, because I don't believe that that was from the Lord yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's just such a powerful distinction between the two. Mm-hmm. And, and I just hope that everybody that, 
is hearing your story knows the difference that God is not dropping the hammer on us. Mm -hmm. And he's that, that happened with his son already. And he was put on the cross for us and he took the punishment. He was crushed for our iniquities. And as we get ready for Easter and celebrate his death and his resurrection, I mean, that's what he did for us. And the discipline is something that God does out of the love of a father. Right. And, and we just have to be able to know the difference. And I, I'm praying that the people listening do. I am too, big. because that is a huge thing when finding your own forgiveness is understanding that God is not punishing you. Mm. He's not. He knew you were going to make the choices yeah. you've made in your life. Mm. And he still chose to love you. Yeah. So we started with, you know, you know that date for you mm-hmm. of January 11th, 1996. Um, you said recently that that date rolled around and it didn't haunt you like it used to. Right. I didn't even realize it was January 11th this year. Yeah. I don't remember what was even going on on January 11th, <laughs> but it didn't stick out to me the way that it has in the past. Yeah. Before I would dread that day. Mm-hmm. Many times I would have to like call off work, mm-hmm. stay home, cry in bed, be mad at everyone and not know why I was mad, mm-hmm. you know, um, because And I know now that I was mad because no one else could understand that I was so sad Mm -hmm. that I didn't have my baby. I was so sad that I made this decision. And then, so I didn't deserve to mourn her is what I often thought was that I didn't deserve to mourn her because I chose to let her go. Mm -hmm. And so then I would get angry at people. Um, I would get so mad on January 11th. This year, I didn't even know it was January 11th. Didn't even realize it. And that's huge for me. Yeah. I felt like that was really big for me. That's big. And so, um, and a big part of that was that Bible study forgiven and set free. You know, that Bible study went on to, um, I felt called to lead the Bible study. Right. And again, it was one of those things that was like, oh, time and place just fits. (laughs) You know, the Lord works in mysterious ways. And I would think, oh, I'm too busy. Yeah, And then things just fall into place when he wants you to do mm-hmm. something. As long as you're willing to listen. When when he asks us to do something, when he tells us to do something. And I know some people might be thinking, God doesn't talk to me. I don't hear God. And I just think that people need to understand that it's not that I hear a big booming voice mm-hmm. in my head. It's not like God's shaking me by the shoulders. Heather, this, <laughs> you know, it's not like that. Um, but I think that we have that feeling in our heart and that that voice, um, some people call it their voice of self. I call it the voice of God yeah. and it, telling you that's not a good choice or that is a good choice mm-hmm. or, hey, you need to do this. When these ideas come to you and these feelings come to you, they're coming to you from the Lord. Yeah. And I think that's where I chose to listen. Mm. And um, because of a sermon that I heard. (laughs) And so um, I chose to listen. And then I started leading that Bible study. And I saw God work miracles. I saw women that were in their 60s that had been holding on to the pain of an abortion from when they were 19, 20 years old. They hadn't even told their husbands because they were so ashamed and so sad. And so just angry with themselves, angry at God. So many women blame God because he didn't stop them Mm. from making that choice. 
Um, and then they discover these steps, discover the character of God and the power of God. And then they're able to, you know, after 40, 50, you know, years, able to finally say, oh, I can be forgiven. Mm-hmm. And with that comes a, a sense of freedom. Yeah. So I was able to lead that Bible study and that was life changing. It really was. The student becomes the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's the way it goes. God um, loves to take things and just turn them around like that mm-hmm. and take someone that was just wrapped up in guilt and shame over this and then use them to bring others out of it. Right. And, right. and so that's kind of where I want to you know, take a little tangent here because, you know, I believe shame is something that people struggle with in general, mm-hmm. whether they, you know, made a choice like you did, you know, 20 years ago or whatever it might be, or, um, something they've been holding on for 40 years, mm-hmm. someone that's holding on to shame, they won't forgive themselves. Right. They, they just, it's the first line of their prayer. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. What would you say to them? Where do they oh, start? Gosh. And that's, and I think all shame, like maybe your shame is not abortion or addiction. Maybe your shame is something that you feel is smaller or bigger I think that the very first thing is when you continuously ask the Father to forgive you, then you're not believing that you're worthy of being forgiven. And so it has to start somewhere. And so I feel like if it starts with you just hitting your knees, Mm. and I know that's easier said than done. So praying to the Father and asking Him, okay, show me what I need to do so that I can find the forgiveness. Getting into the word and reading. Listen, if you just Google, Google is crazy. So when I first wanted to go to Hope, I Googled, how do I stop girls from having abortions? (laughs) Because I was really half-heartedly looking for this. So if you Google scriptures, so if you say scriptures for addiction, scriptures for abortion recovery. Scriptures will come up with specific things. The Lord will allow those scriptures to come forward and you will read those scriptures and they will come up with stories from the Bible that relate exactly to you. Yeah. And I truly believe that, that I can read the Bible today and get something totally different from the same story I read five years ago. Mm. So sometimes that when you're pulling and trying to find those scriptures that you need for your specific shame that God's going to bring those forward. And I think the other piece here is to believe that God is your father. Amen. That's good. And even if you don't have a relationship with your father, okay, fine. I didn't either. So then think about God as the parent that you did have a relationship with, whether that was your mom, your grandma, your aunt, whoever raised you, whoever believed in you, whoever led you, whoever was like your person that cheered you on and that loved you. Think about God as that person. And that person, do they forgive you for what you did? Do they forgive you? Do they tell you, hey, it's okay. It's okay. If they can so easily do that, think how much even more easy that God can do that. And I I truly believe that when we go to God and we see him as an earthly parent, 
that then we can kind of wrap our minds around, oh, he can forgive me. And once we believe that we're worthy of that forgiveness, that the forgiveness isn't so hard to come by, then the forgiveness comes. And then you start feeling that that ease of, of your shame. And you start realizing, oh, wait, I am, this is worth it. I'm worth it. Yeah. And understanding that you're worth it is the hardest part. That's good. Well, and you said something earlier about God is bigger than any decision you've ever made. Yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah. That's just so good. He I mean, is. And so he don't knew. think about it like that, but he is. He's bigger than He's any decision. Bigger than every decision. Yeah. Now, could he come down and have said, Heather, you're not having an abortion. I'm not allowing yeah. it. Sure. Right. He could have, but he also needs me to be able to have free will and to learn. And he knew that decision, but he also knew he was bigger. Yeah. And that he could bring something that was such a despair and su- such a terrible event. And he can, he can make something beautiful out of it. Mm-hmm. God takes our sorrow and our shame and our, our misery, and he brings grace and mercy, and he makes something beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he does that because he loves us and because he's so big. And so I think that, that when we need that forgiveness and when we're trying to, to push aside our shame, I think that we have to remember he's bigger. He can do it. And he loves us just as you love your children. You love your people. You would forgive them. God forgives you. Yeah. You know, I've, I've really not under, I mean, I am totally tracking with everything you're saying here. And I'm telling you though, a couple of years ago, I, it wouldn't have really registered with me because I wasn't a parent. Okay. Yeah. You know, And mm-hmm. so, but now that I have a two-year-old son, mm-hmm. Sometimes I look at him and I just get overwhelmed right. by how much I love him. Oh, I mean, it just, it, it melts me. And even when he's being a little jerk and yes. yelling at me or his mom or whatever, yeah. I mean, <laughs> when I look at him or he's having a sweet day and he's being nice and all those things, I mean, or when they're sleeping. Yes. I mean, you just watch him in that peaceful moment. You and just, you want to uh, eat him. <laughs> Just want to eat them up. <laughs> right. You can't get enough. You know, yes. it's the way I've never experienced that exact feeling until my son was born, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it's really opened my eyes up to the love of a father, not having a dad a whole lot. When I was growing up, it didn't really make sense to me either. But when I see my son now, I just, I'm overwhelmed with joy for him. And I know he is going to break my heart. Oh yeah. He's going to let me down. And for sure. There's no doubt it's just going to happen, but I just can't imagine him doing anything that would make me not love him. Yeah. I just, I just, I know that that's what God placed in my heart for him. And, and what Heather and I want the listeners to understand is that truth that there's nothing that you can do. That's going to make God love you less. Exactly. You know, and he's bigger than any mistake, any decision Mm -hmm. you've made. And I love what you said, Heather, your first response to my question was to start on your knees. That's yeah. where it begins. And to confess, to pray, to cry out. Um, there's I, no greater starting point. There isn't. And I think that it, I was like, I would pray sort of, you know, and then even as I started going to church and stuff, I got a little bit better at praying and I would find quiet time and sit quietly. But in the moments when you are hurting, there is nothing like getting on your knees 
like literally. And I don't mean just like go sit down and pray. No, get on your knees, cry out to the Lord. I need you. Mm. I need you right now. I'm open. I am um, vulnerable. I need you. And I think that that is something that we don't do enough. We don't do it enough. We don't. And, and I think it's a posture and it's a, it's kind of, it goes into using other senses that we have Mm -hmm. and just what we feel when we're on our knees and it just helps our attitude and our mind be focused. And I just, I can't think of a better place to start, you know, than Mm -hmm. on our knees. And I I'm just so thankful for your honesty with all of this. Cause I know it's not easy to talk about, but, but it's awesome to hear that God has just set you free from that. So do go ahead. If you, I mean, if you would have asked me to do this 10 years ago, (laughs) no way. I didn't, I didn't let anyone know that I'd been an addict. I didn't let anyone know that I'd had an abortion. There was no way. Now I think this is how I show that the Lord is a loving, just father. Mm. And I, I can show that, oh my gosh, God is so, so good. And it doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter. God loves you. And so that's why I feel like it's just so easy now to talk about these terrible things that I did in my past, because those built me into the person that I am and God forgave all that. Yeah. And so I can too. Well, I'm glad it wasn't 10 years ago and I'm at, yeah. asking you, I'm glad you're on because I, I know this is going to help so many people. So, you know, we're talking about a hard subject today. Mm-hmm. It's a touchy subject for people. It's a divisive subject for our nation, the, yeah. the, the thoughts of life and choice and um, where life begins and all of these things. And I'll be, you know, just really candid with you. Um, I'm, I'm a little shocked sometimes that we're even debating this anymore I know. with just what we know about life in the womb. Yeah. And when Roe v. Wade was passed, I mean, we knew basically nothing right. about life in the womb. And, and now even, science. I know. We and, know so, so much. And, and not only do we know about what is in the womb and what is is dying by choice there, we also know the long-term effects. There is so much research over men and women that are post-abortive mm. and the things that they go through in their lives and the way that it damages them. Not only am I pro-life that I think that babies need to, to be born, I'm also pro-life that these people that are having abortions and these people that are post-abortive, they're falling apart and they don't know why mm. because America says that this is okay. How is that possible that this is still okay and that we're not we're not looking at the science of of a baby in conception? We're not looking at that at eight weeks a fetus feels pain. Mm-hmm. We're not looking at that 20 years down the road a woman may not be able to get a good night's sleep because she's having um insomnia because of something she did when she was 17. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and it doesn't. It doesn't me either. Just because, you know, there there's so much, you know, science that just supports the the feeling of a child in the womb. The mm-hmm. they're dreaming yeah. in the womb. I mean, I remember watching my son on the ultrasound, and it was one of those weird ones that makes him look like an alien. It's so like freaky, five D or whatever <laughs> it is. And you know, he was 
sucking on his thumb and just wiggling around. And, and, and even now doctors are going in and operating on children in the womb to mm-hmm. fix something before they're even born and then closing the mother back up. I mean, it's just unbelievable what we're able to do, but it just still doesn't seem to make a difference in the sense that this is a child. Right. And, and that's why, you know, we, since, you know, Roe v. Wade was declared law, um, 62 million babies have been aborted and it just rattles me to my core. And, and I don't no hate, no amount of anger or disdain is going to make this right. And, and sometimes I'll be honest with you, Heather, I just feel hopeless with it, you know, when you see everything. And so I'm, I'm asking you to give me some hope on this. I'm like, what can we do? And what do we say to people that still want to demand that this is a choice and it's a right. And I mean, I know those are hard subjects, but. It is a really difficult subject. And I think the number one thing that we don't do is be hateful. Mm. And I know that, you know, when we go, when we try to stop people from having abortions, sometimes the graphics that are shown and then the screaming and the yelling, that's just going to make somebody mad and make Mm. them go do it more. I do not feel like, when we are hateful and we say, you're a murderer, you're a killer, look at what you've done, um, we're not helping anything. Mm. And we're certainly not showing the love of the Lord. When we are um, blasting people with information, true information about what their fetus looks like and about what their, I mean, their baby, um, when we blast them with this information and such a negative connotation all we are doing, in my opinion, is pushing them forward to continue doing what they want to do. Right. Because then it makes it political and then it makes it a fight. And we know too well that most people, when you tell them not to do something, the first thing they want to do is go do it. You know, if you tell me no, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think that we need to approach people with love. We need to have places like Hope Pregnancy Center where I can go there for a pregnancy test for free. I can get an ultrasound for free and I can have someone pray with me and love on me and explain to me my options to show me that there is hope in raising a baby on my own. If that's what I choose, showing me the way to have my baby adopted, if that's what I choose, but then also offering me support if I still decide to go do what I plan to do in the first place. God doesn't want us to turn our backs on these people. Our country says that this is a choice, Mm. whether we agree with that or not, this is what it is. And so what we can do as believers in Christ is to be there to pick up the pieces. Oh, that's so good. First of all, to to be there to pick up the pieces, but also to show them, like, I just wonder if I would have had, you know, I was too scared to go to my mom, but if I would have had somewhere that said, Hey, we'll help you. We're going to hold your hand through this. We're going to help you um, get all of the support you need. We're going to show you what's out there. And if we have places like that, that girls can go to, and they can go there because they just want to know if they're pregnant, it's a free pregnancy test. And then they get all of this love and then they get all of this support. And then even if they decide that they're still going to abort, 
these people at, at, at hope they'll still love you. Yeah. And that because Jesus still loves you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to do as followers of Christ is just to say, look, I'm going to support you the best I can and try to help you to not do that. Yeah. We don't want you to do that. I'm going to try to help you and support you. But if that doesn't work, I'm going to help you heal. Yeah. And that can only be done through the Lord. I love it. So well said, pick up the pieces mm-hmm. of what's already been broken and we don't need to scatter them more, no. make a bigger mess of it. I, I think that it's been so it's a great quote. I don't know where it came from, but it's, it's possible to be right and be wrong at the same time in the sense of, you know, believing the right thing, but practice practicing it the wrong yes. way. And yes. we have to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. You know, if we believe that we're right, which I believe we are, I believe that right. life is sacred and, and that God has formed life in the womb and that that is a human. That's what I believe. Yes. I believe the scriptures teach that. I think science teaches science that. Teaches I, it even, yeah. I don't even think it's debatable at this point. And, but it's just, we can do the right thing the wrong way. And, and I think that's where we have to be careful. I, I think you speak clearly to the stigma that comes with pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Some people feel that it's a sin to be pregnant. And right. I know that that sounds crazy to say out loud, but a lot of young girls, they find themselves in that situation. They're pregnant. They feel like that's sin. And that even the fact they're pregnant, it's not. Right. And I think that that's why we have to provide safe places, our churches, Hope Pregnancy Center, all these types of places that support life and pour money into them and our time Mm -hmm. and our resources. And quite honestly, to every pastor that's listening and every church leader, we are doing no favors by not talking about this. We have to talk about it. And just because it's touchy doesn't mean we can't touch it. And we don't want to talk about it, though, from from an angle of, of... of condemning people. Absolutely. There has to be the talk and then the safety for these men and women to meet with someone and to say, look, this is what I did. But also to adults who think that if their teenage child gets pregnant, that they have failed as parents. Yeah. That's not a failure. Mm -hmm. Babies are a blessing. Did it come at a different time than you wanted? Sure. Did it not like meet the expectations? Yes, but babies are a blessing from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And so too many times I read stories or heard from girls that said, well, my parents made me, my parents made me, you know, they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They thought my future was over. They were pro-life, but then they got scared. So they forced me to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. I think that we get so caught up in what's right and what's wrong and the way that the world sees what's right and what's wrong in our image that we're so nervous that somebody's going to see us and think, Oh, their kid's pregnant, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, they didn't parent very well. And then that, that's not it. Now, do you want your 15 year old pregnant? No, of we not. really don't. And we want to no. make sure, you know, we want to teach that abstinence is the number one way but when these things happen, we have to meet them with grace. Yeah. We have to meet them with the love of Jesus, and we have to to guide them and love them and pick up the pieces. That's so good. Well, and I think there's just, to me, just not a lot of, you know, information out there that people mm-hmm. are getting, you know, and I, I know I've shared this story with you, but 
this, this subject of abortion came up in my classroom. At one point I did not bring it up. Um, but it was brought up by a sixth grade girl and she wanted to know about abortion. And, and, uh, it actually came up on a news clip we were watching in class and she didn't understand it. And so the conversation just began. And, and so we started talking and the kids just started asking questions and it was an organic conversation from them. But I just asked them to put down on a note card, you know, anonymously, how many babies were, have been aborted since Roe v. Wade. And they folded it and handed it to me. And out of the 25 or so answers I got, the highest number was 10,000. Oh my gosh. And so I mean, and I told, and I told them that our high number was 10,000. And then you break the news to them that it's basically the population of Italy, 62 million people that have, you know, been snuffed out and not given a chance at life at all. When you break that news to them, they can't believe it. They don't even think it's true because they've never been exposed to that. So right. I think there's a just a lack of information. There's misinformation. And I think that's why a lot of our, our young people just don't even fully understand what right. they're doing. And it's nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. Everybody's scared to talk about it. Women that have been through it definitely don't want to talk about it. You know, women that are considering it don't want to talk about it. And then men think they have no place to talk about it. Mm. And, and I think that our society, yes, says it's not your body, but I'm talking about the men that are put in the predicament that their girlfriend or their wife chooses to have an abortion and they don't have a choice. They don't have any choice. Now I know that there are circumstances where the man talks them into, yes, but then he's still going to hurt. And I think that so often as a mother of sons, I've worried about that. What if my son doesn't have a choice? Mm. So we also need to, to think about those boys. And I think that, or young men, I should say, oh, you're um, right. you know, in the church and in the youth, in the older youth group, maybe in the college groups, it needs to be talked about, needs to be talked about that, that there is support for you. Mm. There is support that if you can't go tell your mom, and your dad that you're pregnant, come come to the church and let us do it with you. Yeah, let us support you. Um, I think it's our responsibility mm. that we're showing the love of Christ by being there for people when they're just so desperate. Yeah. When I think back to being 22 years old, the mother of a three and a half year old, and the desperation, the absolute desperation, mm. and selfishness. You're very selfish at that age also. Um, you just need people. You need people to show the same love that, that Christ would show. And that's our job. It's our job. It's our joy. It is our joy. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, I hope that it, the church that I pastor and the church that you're a part of, that whenever we are presented with a young girl that's pregnant out of wedlock or a teenage pregnancy that the first thought we have is when can we throw the baby shower? Right. I mean, that's where our mind needs to go. How because, can we support her? Yeah. How can we support? And because truthfully, we, we all sin, we mm -hmm. all fall short. We yeah. all make mistakes, but when someone gets pregnant and because of, you know, extramarital sex or whatever it might be, um, it's, or out, you know, sex outside of marriage. I mean, it, you know, their, their sin is just more visible, right? 
you know, like there was the consequence of it, you know, mm-hmm. and what happens because of that sin. It's just more visible. Right. And so none of us really have the the right to start throwing stones and right. thinking that somehow what they've done is worse than what we've done. Mm-hmm. But I do think we've created this culture to some degree. We have. And we have to we have to tear it down and give people the, you know, the opportunity to talk. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Well, I um I could take this conversation a long ways <laughs> because I'm passionate about this subject. Um and you know, I just want people to know that Heather and I are passionately pro-life. Mm-hmm. And and that that is not just about the womb. Right. It's it's so much more. We even Heather saying that she is wants to help people that are post-abortive and right. walking with them through their pain. And, and so that's where we stand and yes. we believe that it's our, our responsibility and our job. And again, our joy to be a voice for the voiceless right. and to speak up for those that can't be spoken for. And that's how we feel uh, about life in the womb. Do you have anything else you want to say about that in regards to just this passion you have to help and to, well, I know that the Lord has led me on a journey. Yeah. He's led me on a journey. I'm so, so passionate about it that I went, I mean, I went and got my master's degree yeah. in clinical mental health and I'm leaving teaching to go and work um, in the mental health field. And one of my, one of my specialties that I've asked to be placed on my um, description is post-abortive. Yeah. I want people to understand that a decision that you made does not define you for the rest of your life. You were yeah. defined because you're a child of God. Mm-hmm. And God knows the shame and the 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 hate you have for yourself no matter what your sin. He knows what your sin is, he knows how you feel about it, but he wants to redeem it. He yeah. wants to show you. He put his son on the cross. He put him there because he wants us to understand that we are forgiven and that we can be set free from the pain and the hurt. And he wants, he wants each of us to feel free. And I truly, truly believe that, that he wants us to feel free and he wants us to use our stories and what we've been through to help other people. Amen. And there's no greater blessing than being able to show exactly what the Lord can do to other people. Yeah. Show his love, show his mercy, show his grace, and then just be there for each other. Oh no, that's just so good. Yeah. I, I yeah, I think of you know, just the, the what the scriptures teach that you've you've been loved much, you're gonna you're gonna love much. You, yes. You've been shown so much, you're gonna show it to others. I I hear your story. God has delivered you from addiction and this, the pain of abortion. And there, you have no other option now than to help other people get out of the place that you were in. And I want to say this too. We, this isn't political for you and I, No, and I would say that Heather and I probably differ politically on some things. I, um, I, I, I'm sure we do. Uh, this isn't political for us. I get so tired of the R and the D and, oh. uh, you know, beside your name. And this is what I believe if I'm a Democrat or this is what I believe if I'm a Republican, this is not political for this us. It's not political. This is all. about life yeah. and about love. Amen. And, and it's also a situation where 
politicians use it mm-hmm. to, to manipulate people. And, and they say they're pro-life and they're really not. Some even say they're pro-choice and they're really not. I mean, right. it's they're going with the shifting winds of the time to get elected and right. to get the people to vote for them. And so this is not about that for us. And I just get extremely frustrated when I see it become a political issue yes. because there are millions of lives at stake. Right. Anything about not. the political part? Listen, I just, I cannot stand how it has become that, um, you know, people will say, but then, you know, you watch these politicians and the things that they will say just to get elected. So I wouldn't believe them when it comes to pro-life or pro-choice either. I think we've got to look at the heart of the matter and look at in your heart, what is it for you? And it's for me, it's life that the Lord gives life because he loves us. Think about the joy that a baby smile can bring <laughs> to the biggest, burliest guy who yep. thinks that he's not going to care. <laughs> and then you look, <laughs> at the, at me. look at the joy in a baby's smile and you melt. Yeah. That is because babies are blessings from the Lord. And I just, I cannot say enough that it doesn't matter if you're to the right or to the left. Do you care about life? Mm. That's what we need to know. Do you care about life? That's it. And in the political world, if someone's going to say they're pro-life, look at their record. Yeah. What do they do? Right. Do they just say it or are they really about it? And I think those things are important. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to share this real quick and I'm going to let you wrap us up with anything that's on your heart. You know, I, I was just reminded, I think God put this in my mind to, to share with us is that, When I was having this discussion with my class at one point, um, one of the the things that was brought up is that, you know, a a woman might choose to have an abortion because of the circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, they're poor. They already have a kid. They they don't know who the dad is. You know, all the things that go on that, you know, all the things, the deck stacked. And so instead of letting that baby be born, they want to just not even give them that moment of despair or the hard life that might be ahead of it. And this young girl was telling me this and describing, you know, poverty and um, dysfunction. And why would you want a child to go through that? And I just told her, I said, listen, that's my story. I said, you just described my story as a young kid. I wasn't rich. Right. My parents didn't get along. There was drugs and alcohol and dysfunction galore but I'm so thankful my mom decided to have me. Right. Even though it was probably a very difficult circumstance, you know, and I look at my life and, and I'm just thankful I was given that chance. And when I said that to her, I don't, she just didn't really have much to say. I I just think it kind of hit her that I was born in difficulty. It wasn't easy. And I still made it. And I made it. Yeah. You know, and, I just had that thought while I was listening to you and I just, I think it needed to be shared. I used to get really torn about rape. Mm, I got really, really torn about, do we make the mother suffer and carry the baby and not understanding? And, and God knew that that was on my heart, that that was something that I was very unsure about. And I didn't know, like, do we make it a choice for them? Um, And then, a woman shared a story and she had been raped Mm. and she had decided to carry her baby. 
and the way that she placed the baby for adoption. But so, I mean, she didn't have to, you know, cause that's what I've wondered. Like, do you look at that face and see your rapist forever? I don't yeah. know. And Those are real so questions. It's yeah. And so, and then there was um, someone who had been raped and had boarded. They still had the same pain and the same um, sadness and the same shame, even though, and God showed that to me because mm. he knew that's where I was kind of like, Ugh. yeah, um, it's still a baby. Yeah. It's still a baby. And these women are still suffering mm. um, if they've made that choice. But when she placed the baby for adoption, that was really helpful. I think Yeah, um, that she knew that she had done something mm. good. Well, and that's always one of the caveats with anybody's pro-choice. What about rape? What about mm-hmm. incest? And, and, and Heather and I, we both understand those things and, we, we can never fully empathize with that because that's not, you know, that's not, I can't because I'm, I'm a guy and, mm-hmm. and I, you know, but a lot of times those, those really small exceptions are trying to make a role in a broader sense. And I think that that's where we have to really be careful and pay attention. And um, because, you know, rape is touchy and I've got a teenage daughter and I, I, how would I feel if that happened right. to her, you know? And, but I think the biggest thing is this. We need to provide help for people. Exactly. You know? And if they've gone through that, we want to walk with them to show them their worth, show them the child's worth, even though it was conceived in an evil, wicked way. I mean, right. truly, right. I mean, there's no other way to say it. It's difficult. It's touchy. But just to help people yeah. and provide them alternatives and that you're going to stand with them and walk with them. And I know that's hard. I, I, I've really never verbalized any of that before until now, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, but it's, it's just something that's always thrown on the table with someone that's pro-choice. It's just, what about these two things? What about this? What about that? And and I, I I understand, I, I understand the argument of it and, but it's still a child. And I think having those um, supports in place of, helping them, having the mental health help that they need, having the spiritual help that they need to walk through either having the baby and keeping or placing the baby for adoption. Yeah. Either way, um, helping them to walk through that. Because mm. either way, that's not going to be easy. No. You know? And so I think that we have to have those supports in place, both um, with their mental health and with their spirituality. Yeah. That's so good. That's good. Well, Heather, you know, I, I know that this, this talk is, um, a one that a lot of people shy away from and you, mm-hmm. you've not done that. And <laughs> by the I, grace of God, <laughs> there's a, there's a boldness to you, but there's also a, a humility about it as well that, you know, what God's brought you out of. And I don't think anybody listening to this thinks they're an ounce of arrogance or pushiness or anything like no, that from yeah. either one of us on this. We, we understand it's, it's a tough subject. It's so hard. And we do hope that we've, we've handled it with grace today. And I think that Heather and I would both let the whole audience know that if you want to talk to us about this, we want to talk to you. 100%. We'll yes. put, yeah. We'll put Heather's contact information in the show notes. My, my information's I'm easy to get a hold of. We would love to, to chat and mm-hmm. because we are passionate about this and we want to speak life to this. And, um, and that's why we, you know, had this conversation today. Do you yeah. want to, 
say anything else in closing? At I all? just want to just thank you for bringing me here yeah. and just allowing me to share my testimony. I hope no one ever thinks that I'm okay with the things I've done in the past. Oh, like gosh. they're just Nobody terrible, terrible things, but yeah. I am loved by a father that has allowed me to, to be free from it. Yeah. And I'm so, so thankful for that. And I just want other people to know that there is forgiveness and there's mm-hmm. freedom in allowing God to take it. Mm-hmm. Just let him take it. Let him take it. Let him take it. That's a, it's a great way to end it, Heather. Thank yeah. you so much. We, we're honored to have heard your story today. And thank you. Thanks for coming on. Yes. All thanks right. for having me. Take care. Well, I cannot thank Heather Bowen enough for joining me on this show. Her authenticity just draws people to her. And I know it did that for you. And I just want to reiterate one final time here from my heart and Heather's heart to your heart. You're not alone. We would love to talk with you. Our email addresses are in the show notes. We would love for you to reach out to us if you have questions or you would like to just chat about anything that was said today. We're in this together. We want to listen. And sometimes you just need to be heard. And we want to be that for you. Thank you so much for joining me on this particular show today. It's been an honor to just be a small part of your life. And I cannot wait until our next time together again, where it's going to be my joy to help you lead with love so you will love to lead. Thank you for listening to Life and Leadership with Daniel Kitchell. We hope that you're with us again next time as we connect life and leadership today so that you can flourish tomorrow.